And then Jude, do you have any questions? First of all, the way you've organized this all and the way you've just introed all of this is like the smoothest kind of podcast I've ever had. Really? So, yeah, thank you for that. Okay, that's big. It's good. It's great. Also, is there any particular way you'd like to be introduced? The legend I'm taking, or whatever <laughs> you guys want. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of The Third Wheel. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron. And I'm your other host, Hamish. And today we're joined by Joe. How you doing, Joe? Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, how are you? How wonderful is this? Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. No, no, pleasure to have you. Yeah, would you like to... Oh, sorry. That's my phone. Unprofessional. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we don't really know each other. This is the first time all of us kind of meeting. We first got in contact after, if anyone remembers, Ambrose's episode, Ambrose Cook. 50-something, I believe. I'm not, not entirely sure. But yeah, would you like to kind of just give us a rundown of kind of what, what you're doing at the moment? Sure thing. So hello, everyone. How are you? My name's Joe Binder. I am 25 years old. I got obsessed with social media when I was studying at Cambridge University. I ended up starting a YouTube channel, which I was obsessed with as well, and then ended up graduating and starting a personal branding agency. So we work with some of the leading entrepreneurs and business people in the UK. And essentially, we help them become more influential and raise their profile on social media. So there's currently six of us in the business. We've never raised money. I've bootstrapped it for the past two and a half years. And hopefully in the next three or four weeks, there should be eight of us because we're just hiring a couple of people now. So that's a very quick intro for you. Awesome. I was thinking, should we start off with like the school to Cambridge story or more with your, with the agency? We can talk about the kind of my school story. because I think it's something that resonates with people, especially younger people who are at school and having a really shit time because for some people it's not the best time. Yeah. Something you mentioned before to us was kind of how you were, I also saw a linked, I kind of stalked your LinkedIn a bit earlier. Oh yeah. And you, you put a post up where it's like, kind of like, yeah, you were kind of seen as the, like the dumb kid at school. But then it's like a photo of you kind of graduating from Cambridge. First, when you mentioned it, I was kind of like, are you kind of like overreacting to that? Like, were you really seen as a dumb kid? Or is that something that was just in your head? How was, what was it kind of like? It's a really good question because when you talk about events and experiences and feelings from so long ago, sometimes you kind of construct your own narrative and shape it so that it fits for a certain purpose. Hmm. The reality of it was I was in bottom sets for everything. I was seen as the thicko, the banter in my friendship groups. If friends were to take the piss out of me for something, it was the fact that I was in 3B, which was set six out of six in maths, in science, in English, in every subject. It was a big school. So I went to JFS, biggest Jewish school in Europe. There were 2,000 kids there. And I think so 300 people per year. Oh, the same as us. Okay, that's, that's oh, double so you mine. just had smaller classes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is, this is secondary school? Just to be this is a secondary school, exactly. And so in year eight, when we were all put into our sets, I was put into the bottom. And I mean, obviously it's like classic boys banter, taking the piss out of anything they can. And for me, it just, you know, it ended up being that I was the thick one. And that stayed around for a long time. My nickname was, you know, 3B, Mr. 3B, because that was <laughs> the, the term for bottom sets, which was lovely. It was a wonderful time. Isn't that like a pencil, 3B? Like it is a HP. pencil. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Sorry. HP. All right. There might be a 3B as well, though. I feel like there probably is. Interesting. Maybe I'll buy that. I could take a, I could <laughs> yeah. get a good photo of that. Yeah. <laughs> so then, like, say in primary school, where you, did you think of yourself as like a smart kid or like an average kid, or, like a dumb kid? Or was it like kind of level of the other students who were just really high that it kind of like made you feel dumb? 
No, I wasn't in high sets in primary school. I don't actually think we had, I don't know if we had sets, but I was not the best student. Mm-hmm. don't think I was the worst, but I definitely, you know, thought deep down I could potentially do better, but I just didn't really back myself at that time. Also, like it's primary school. It wasn't much of a yeah. thought going through, you know, it wasn't much of a thought process, but it really hit home in, in secondary school. And it wasn't just something where people were saying, oh, you know, you're thick because of X, Y, Z. It's like they had tangible evidence for the fact that I was dumb, <laughs> that I was in bottom sets. That's good evidence that I was getting bad yeah, can't, test can't hide scores. Do you know what I mean? Like, what can you do with that? It's, it's right there in front of you. So they had reason. It wasn't very nice, but I mean, they had reason. So, I mean, back to the original question, like, have I dramatized this to shape my narrative? I don't think I have because it's legit. It's subjective. You know, there was a setting system with the, the high achievers at the top and those who needed the most assistance at the very bottom. And I fit into that bottom group. Yeah, I think it was... Yeah, it was weird for me because I, I think I, uh, yeah, a bit opposite, kind of, to be honest, like I was, uh, I was probably at primary school, I thought I was kind of average, like I wasn't, wasn't the smartest kid in primary school, wasn't like, the dumbest. And then going into secondary school, it was weird because I didn't do anything. I was just kind of, I think I've told this story before. I was thinking the fact that I was like the only brown kid, people just assumed I was smart. And that automatically just like, if I was getting picked on, it was, it might've even been for like being like a nerd. Do you know what I mean? Like no, the smart kid. Really? Well, and also like being really small, but <laughs> yeah, kind of just going from there then, how did you kind of react? Did it get you down? Stuff like that. So I don't remember a specific moment where I was like, oh, my friends are teasing me and I'm sad, mm. but it definitely was a gradual, you know, when somebody says something to you and they repeat it over and over and over again, and eventually you kind of just let down your guard and you start to believe it. I think that's where I was. So this is kind of early year eight. It didn't feel good. I knew I could see the pace at which I was learning. I could see the the kind of the material that we were studying. And I just thought that I could do better. And I don't know what it was specifically that triggered it, but something triggered it. And eventually I was like, you know what? Fuck this. You know, I, I can achieve more. I can work harder. I want to work hard. I want to be successful. I just need to figure out how I'm going to do it. Mm. And that was a long process of trying to figure it out. You know, I went to the head of year. I went to my teachers. They said, what can we do about this? Like, I, you know, I want to be working harder. I want to be moved up a set. And their response was always, okay, great. But I mean, can't just move people up a set. First of all, it's, you know, it's a headache with all the admin and the bureaucracy of doing that. Mm. But also you can't just move up a set because you've asked to move up a set. You need to prove yourself. So then it was a case of, all right, let's do this. And I just worked my ass off for a really long time. I did that consistently and eventually moved up from 3B, set six to 3A, which was three, which was set five. And then eventually I just got addicted, like fully addicted. I loved working hard for a test, getting a test score back and seeing that it actually paid off. And I think once I had that kind of validation, the evidence of the fact that if I do spend, you know, an extra five hours revising for a test, which maybe isn't even that important. And I get, you know, 25 out of 30 instead of 19 out of 30. Like that feels good. And I can attribute it to the extra hours I put in. I think once I connected the dots there, I was just all for it. 
Yeah, I was going to quickly ask you, how does your set naming work? So Yeah, I was wondering as well, like... <laughs> from set 1 to 6, could you name how you're doing it? Because you said 3B and now you're at 3A. But that's yeah. set 6 to set 5, so like... it was. This is obviously isn't a grade, like, you know, as in like an exam grade in, I assume, year 7 or something. So how does the naming system here work? So top set is 1A mm-hmm. and then 1B. And then 2A and then 2B. Okay, and then 3A yeah. and then 3B. <laughs> we probably yeah. could have worked that out <laughs> that's how it works though I, mean, I don't know why it was done like that but I remember actually at one point I was obsessed with French still I'm a bit obsessed with French I just don't really speak it ever but like I was I, at that point I must have been kind of in the twos and maybe two be it French and my friend was in set one and I, like she was accelerated and I was literally helping her do her homework and she thought this is a joke oh, like this is a joke why, why is this the case I like, obviously love love it but at the same time, like, I can do better than this and it needs to be recognized by the school. You know, there's a kind of, there's a system that I have to be able to put in, to be put in higher sets. Otherwise, I, I literally cannot get higher than a C in GCSE, I remember, because I would have had to have taken foundation papers. Yeah, than, that's the word. You know I, was, I, mean? I was thinking in my head, like, what was yours? Because I was going to ask, like, where you capped at a certain, there was a certain type of paper and it's called foundation. Yeah. Mm. How did you guys do it in, in school generally, in GCSEs? Did you fly through it in the end? Yeah, I, th- I think as I as I mentioned, like I, I think because I was like kind of as- assumed to be smart and like everyone like put me in this pedestal. I kind of went to, I kind of liked it in a certain kind of a way. Like I didn't want anyone to do better than me. So yeah, I I kind of worked like really hard to kind of make sure. I was also I was a really good boy to be honest. I was like beginning years, like year seven, eight, nine. I was probably like a teacher's pet for like everyone, and then. I think year 10, 11, 12, 13, I stopped like, I, I did my work, but it was more just kind of like, okay, go into class, do my work, go out of class. Like don't, mm. yeah, don't be like all like goody, goody with the teachers or whatever, kind of just get on my work. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, I kind of, I, I did pretty well in school, I like to think. Yeah, mine's was slightly different. So in year three is when they first introduced math sets for us. However, I was quite... I was quite stupid because obviously I didn't have the resources that, you know, the home education that you could get like a lot of other places already had. So I started off in either set three or set four, but the year three teacher I had, like had favoritism towards me, like just because I had the same name as them. So I'm pre- I got like a lot of favoritism in the class. Like when they brought like, you know, chocolate and stuff, I'd always get like an extra one or so on. Then they said that it, you're like too smart for the set. Like, why are you in set three? Because I basically I flopped my year two sets. At this point, note that I had no tech. So... He jumped me to set one. The set one maths teacher hated me. I just remember this in year three. But I kept doing well in maths, so they just left me in set one. And then I stayed in set one. Then in years, basic secondary school, I was in set two, English and science. What else is there? But I didn't do that well at GCSEs. I, d- I did, don't get me wrong, I didn't fail. Like I did, I only had A's, two C's. But the thing was, yeah, I was always disappointed in myself because I, I missed the A star by like two marks. And that's just because I didn't work hard enough in it. So, And then in A levels, I kind of turned it around. Wow. That's wicked. Yeah. And then A-levels, I went A-store, AC at the end of it with a D in economics at ASN. That was it. And then uni was hit or miss because it was memory test. Mm. That's, that's yeah. quite, it's quite funny with you, Joe, how like there's not necessarily, a, I don't think you said like there wasn't necessarily like a trigger point or anything. It just kind of, or one that you can like necessarily remember, you just started to kind of work a lot harder. I was going to say, was there any resources? Like, was there any like materialistic like resources that helped you? Because for me, like you could probably see when you added those resources in, you know, my grades jumped up. So I don't know if it was the same for you when you had those extra resources. Did it give you a boost? 
Yeah. So first of all, Hamish, what you said about the teacher and ha- having and like liking the teacher and then having a teacher not like you. First of all, that's just a shit situation. But when you can't get along with a teacher, that's so difficult. I think I was fortunate for the most part to kind of have good teachers. But then I remember once I, I was obsessed with history. I thought that was, you know, that's what I would end up studying. But then I had a teacher, a new teacher, and it just was not the same. And I think my love for history literally stopped when that's when I went into that class, which was a massive shame. But it's good that, you know, you stayed in that set one for maths. And then also, Aaron, what you were saying about wanting to be the smart kid because that's how everyone saw you anyway. Mm. Like that's that's it. Like it's so true. It's identity is so important and people can construct your identity for you if you don't kind of take a hold of it. And sometimes that's in a brilliant way in your example that that's amazing then in other cases it can be quite tough if you know somebody gives you an identity that you don't want yeah i can see like the pressure sides of it as in a lot of people could have put a lot of well, i think i was kind of chilled about it. i just kind of yeah just i wanted to like do the best i could as well so it mm. kind of helped yeah in terms of resources and specific kind of trigger points there are some stories in my mind things that i remember that got me really frustrated with where I was at the time, like in the early stages. The reason I'm not mentioning them is because I can't think of a kind of a diplomatic, nice way of saying it without, because I mean, it involved other people. Right. So that that's the, you know, of course, the majority of it was gradual, but when I think and when I feel like in my body, what, what it felt like then, there are a couple of things that come to mind and, you know, it's just an active decision not to mention it. Mm. And then on the resources front, I think for me, it was just the teachers that actually backed me. My mum was always super, super supportive. And then, you know, when I started working hard, I wanted to do extra work. If there was a test, I wanted to do extra past papers. Teachers were always willing to mark the extra work that I was doing, like give up their lunch break to do that, give up their lunch break to explain things to me. Like it's mental. And like, on the one hand, you can say, well, yeah, no shit. Teachers care about their students, but I'm certain that that doesn't exist everywhere so i was really really fortunate to have teachers who actually wanted to see me grow and would actually go out their way to facilitate that i agree with the teacher thing at the lunch and the breaks and you know so on because in a levels especially like there was a couple of teachers who i just go to during like either my free things or my you know like the lunch or before and after school and they'd always like help me even if they're on a free period like bear in mind in the staff room they're probably chilling eating they were like, okay, yeah, come on, let's help you. And I, I never forgot, like, I stay in touch with those teachers if I see them, you know, about, because I'm like, you don't know how much of a difference that made between me getting an A star and an A or something. Mm. I'm like, I needed that at the time. When you say they're like, you wanted to do the past papers and you go into a position where like, you kind of wanted to do extra work and all that. Was that actually kind of, did you actually want to do that? Or was it kind of, you wanted the end result and that was kind of the means to? Yeah, it's the latter. I enjoyed, I mean, it's similar to how I am now. When I have a manic day and I'm back to back and I get to the end of the day and I'm, you know, leaving the office at like nine or 10 PM, if I look back and think, wow, I actually did a lot. And there's a direction here that my life is moving because of the work that I've done today. then I I feel really good. And so in terms of, you know, doing tons of work, tons of past papers back in the day, I know that that feeling would have been the same. I would have closed my kind of big folders and all my textbooks at the end of the day and thought, you know what? I did, you know, I got a lot done today. That was good. I feel satisfied. But I mean, ultimately it was all, you know, a means to an end. I wanted to care about the result. I wanted to do better. Yeah. I wanted to move up in sets and get good grades. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I was the same. It was kind of like the end result and that, like, I didn't want to do past tests for like fun, but it was like, okay, I want to get 
the ADA style, so I'll do all these past papers. I was going to check as well, because yeah, you said something interesting which I've been thinking about. So like you said that your friends would basically take the piss out you for being like essentially dumb. But like, I was just wondering because it, at least within my friends group, the only time it would turn into like an insulting your grade thing would be if you're like, if it was like a situation was turning like hostile or something like that's when it would turn into, you know, like a great thing. So I was just wondering, like, <laughs> was it like common in your friends group to just like, because you didn't want to put your own people down, if that makes sense. So like, usually you try and, you know, that's like either help them in the subject or whatever. Like, <laughs> I didn't think we like brutally like insulted each other on grades because it's like a way of like showing like superiority at the time or like a superiority complex. So I don't, I don't think that was about for us, but like, I, I just wanted to hear more on that because like, what was your, how was your friend's stance on that? So I love that you brought this up. I love that you said that. It wasn't a case that these guys wanted to see me fail. They weren't against me. It was just a bit savage, right? The, the shit that I heard in terms of my grade, that was nothing. That was nothing. That was, a, that was a tamer stuff that people were saying to each other. And I don't know what that is. Don't know what it was. Maybe it's the kind of classic, quote, lads. But the banter was, you know, it wasn't nice things. It was mean things about each other. And we would laugh it off. That's okay, how it was. I would violate set four, but none of my friends were in set four. <laughs> so like, for example, like. Yeah, no, no. I mean, yeah, t- to be fair, the kind of stuff that was said to me about sets, when you compare it to the other stuff that was said, like, it just wasn't that deep. But I guess for me, it had a kind of, it did actually cut a little bit deeper in terms of, my kind of mental and kind of maybe instilling in me a lot of kind of academic and intellectual insecurities, even if I wasn't aware at the time. For me at the time, I was like, oh, like you know, whatever. And then it turns out actually, this isn't you know nice. I don't want to be the the dumb guy. But further down, I'm sure somewhere I was like, I never want to be called that again. I never want to be called that again. So yeah, I'm surprised the school Hamish, you guys were like. Yeah, this is off the table. Like, surely at that age, kind of, it's like anything kind of... We, we did insult it, but like, there's a, there's a... Like, don't get me wrong, we insulted the dumb people. And like, you know, like if anyone was flopped, or if you flopped with your friend, like you'd joke about it. But like, you didn't want them necessarily to be stupid or something. So like, even they would no, also work no. harder and so on. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it wasn't... You know how Joel said it wasn't deep. It wasn't deep like that. But don't get me wrong. If someone from set four was stepping up or something, or set three was stepping up, I'm putting them in their place. Do you get me? Like, I'm violating them. What was your grade? Before <laughs> you changed shit to me about maths, and how this is wrong. <laughs> yeah, someone if someone changed shit to me about like algebra. It's just more the concept that you make it together, and it like that was like a group kind of mentality. Despite obviously everyone. Did you not also it. want to do better than your friends? Though? Like even your closest friends. I mean, I knew that one of my friends, um, even at the time, like I would never, I'd probably not do better, so that I could try and be as good as them. But like, I could never be as smart as them, for example. But I could definitely give them a. I could definitely like push towards being as smart as they are, if that makes sense, in terms of academics. Mm. But like, I knew, I knew I was smarter than certain of my friends because I would put in like certain more bookwork or something, you know? So like it, I just knew where I was in terms of it. And it just depends, like anyone can get the grade if they're willing to work for it really at the time. And you can tell the difference between those who worked and those who didn't work for it. Sometimes, obviously I give exemptions at uni because uni is memory test, but at like the, in terms of maths, at least at, you know, at school, that was basically just learning formulas and like how to just use them. So if you didn't put in the work, you, d- you weren't going to do it. Like you weren't going to do well, you know, like as you say, past papers, those specimen papers and so on. Like if you didn't put in the work, you weren't going to get anywhere. So that's on you. Yeah. See, I was, I was pissed off when Luke, so one of my friends from back home, mm-hmm. 
previous podcast, he beat me in C1, the first maths paper. And I was proper pissed off that he beat me in C1. And it was only by like a few percent. But he, he didn't beat me in another one. See, but there's good competition like that. And there's also like, you all want to get that A star A. And you want to make sure that, because remember, if you're making enemies of them, then revision kind of gets peak, you know, because sometimes if you need help, it's first, your first go-to would maybe sometimes ask your friend if they're like on the same level, same class, whatever, hmm. doing the same thing. It would make sense for that to happen. So I don't know, like, whilst you do violate people for being dumb, at least your internal group of friends, you want to make sure that you all make it to your destinations. And if you can help each other along the way, you do it. To be like fair, let's, uh, I don't think I violated anyone for being dumb. You know? like, <laughs> don't get, I'll, I'll, I'll know. I violate people for being dumb. Like if they stepped up to me, like I didn't go out my way to start shit, but I violated people if they wanted to step up, you know, like that, 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 that was just how yeah. it was. But I couldn't imagine like in my friends, like you explicitly calling them super summer, unless something kicked off, if that makes sense. Like if something, yeah, yeah, other kicked off. Thing is that I think we're all talking about a very particular pocket of time mm-hmm. yeah. where you know we behaved in certain ways and there were certain dynamics and politics within friendship groups i think now hopefully you know we could all agree that the the people that we surround ourselves with aren't going to take the piss out of us for being dumb do you know what i mean like they want us to grow we want them to grow and we want to help each other yeah there's a better way to explain things you know like you learn that it's like yeah exactly that we learn over time so at that age kind of what what were you kind of picturing yourself doing if anything did you have any kind of idea of what you wanted to do where you wanted to be so i was and i i don't i would love to know where this came from but i started importing headphones from china and at the time everyone had a blackberry so i'd import blackberry cases from china and sell them at school and all that kind of fun stuff and I had a bit of a phase of, of doing things like that and then i just got just like super 100% heads down and with work. In terms of where I wanted to be in the future, all I wanted was to create an environment where, quote, future Joe would have the privilege of choice. I would be able to look at these different routes that I could take and be able to choose one and not have anything kind of cornered off and actually have a video of myself when I was 15 talking directly into the lens of the camera and explaining things like this, like I'm actively working my ass off so that when, it, when you get oh, to the cool. time when you want to choose, you can do it. And it's funny because I speak in a completely different way. And you, you can just see this 15-year-old kid, no confidence whatsoever, so self-conscious. And it's quite an interesting video to have. I've got it saved on a hard drive. I've looked back at it a few times. But yeah, I think at the time, you know, really into academia, there were parts around business, which I was starting to really get excited around, but just at quite a micro level. And then also ultimately just knew that I wanted to work hard so I could be successful in the future and have the choice. Yeah. Well, there is that like business aspect with the BlackBerry stuff mm. from quite, yeah. quite an early age. But did this go on YouTube, by the way, this video? Which? The one you said you recorded at 15. Oh, right. Oh my goodness. Don't get me started on YouTube. I've had to remove to private 200 of my videos, all of my videos that I spent over a year creating are now gone. Nobody can find them. But yes, one of them did go up, but I didn't upload the whole full 15 minutes. What I did, and I could find that for you. I could find it after the session. I spoke directly into the camera as what I must've been 22, maybe at the time, 21, said something and then cut it straight away to a snippet of the video when I was younger. And then I think I actually might've mentioned future Joe. And then I kind of looked back at myself you know, I flipped back to the new recording and I was like, Joe, we made it, that kind of thing. Oh, 
That's quite cute. So I, I uploaded that. I can find that if, if you guys are keen to see it. Yeah, no, that'd be cool. So then going, going to A-levels and then uni and all that and getting into, so you go into Cambridge, which is like, you know, Cambridge and Oxford, that's kind of seen as like the top two universities in the UK, the world. Well, did you ever kind of have like, so those people, those kids at school who are like, were there's those kids still there that kind of picked on you for being in like 3B? And then did you kind of like look back and be like, hey, look, look at me now kind of thing? I think by that point, mm-hmm. we matured quite a lot. Yeah. And it was more of an, a thing which people respected because they saw it. I mean, when I put this post up on LinkedIn the other day, someone from my school who, you know, we weren't particularly friendly at the time, but we knew of each other. We may have been in a couple of sets. She was like, I actually, you know, I saw this. It was brilliant. You know, well done. That's nice. For me, that was like kind of validation of the message that I'm sharing here and almost reassurance that I'm not making this shit up and I haven't dreamt this up. Like to have somebody, well, two people actually commented to actually have somebody who wasn't, you know, super friendly with say, yeah, I saw you go from that guy to the guy that you are now. And it was great. But yeah, I think by the time Cambridge happened, like that was, that was done. There was one instance, which was really horrible, where the school had an Oxbridge group where you could put your name in and essentially publicly commit to applying to Oxbridge and then you get some more support, which is brilliant that they had that. Publicly commit. Yeah. I mean, the reason I say that is because in order to get into the group, you had to, you know, people would know that you'd be in the group, whether it was staying behind after assembly or writing your name on the slip outside the head of year's office. It it wasn't a kind of discreet thing where you could secretly say to yourself, okay, I have confidence in myself. So I'm going to apply to Oxbridge and join the group. Like if you were doing it, you had to put yourself out there and that meant something. And for that reason, when it came up in conversation for the first time in assembly, I remember I was like, yeah, no chance. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not applying. Some of my friends were like, I'm definitely applying. And I was like, brilliant, amazing, good for you. But I just didn't back myself enough. Anyway, long story short, ended up joining the group. And there must have been 30 of us sitting in a big room. And we had a speaker in and he was essentially explaining, you know, how to do the interview properly. And he said, okay, so I want to volunteer. Is anyone here applying for geography? And I was like, oh, yeah. I don't know if I put my hand up or they were, I was called, but I said, yes. And he goes, okay, great. So here's a practice question for you. What did you learn from a geography field trip? Come on, stand up. So I was like, oh God. So I stood up in front of everyone. Felt obviously like time and just paused because I was yeah. absolutely breaking it. And I just start saying, oh, uh, we went to Birmingham and learned that Birmingham tried to rid itself of the negative perceptions that it had. And le- literally just started saying the same thing over and over again. And it was so embarrassing. I literally saw people one by one would turn their face away from me so they weren't making eye contact so that they could nervous laugh, but not laugh in my face. And I remember one specific person doing that. I can see it so clearly. It was horrible. After that, bro, I was out. I was done. I was like, right, I'm not doing anymore. I'm not doing anymore. So I left the Oxbridge group. I was like, I'm not applying. But then after a lot of conversations with my geography teacher, Miss Ruzi, where she was just like, Joe, there are different types of intelligence. You're, you're literally getting the grades. You're able to do it. You have no reason to not apply. You're mm-hmm. going to fit in there. It's going to be okay. I ended up applying and then got the grades, got in. Smashed it, man. That's wicked. I, know, I was going to say the Oxbridge group. Aaron, you didn't have an Oxbridge group. It wasn't like a publicly thing in our school, but did you not have like a group of people that get a special like help with personal statement? Because you have to apply before like September or something. Or Yeah, exactly. It was that as well. Maybe I just didn't. I didn't bother with Oxbridge. I just I thought it was too much work. I was a bit lazy. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe some people did. 
How come geography at the time? It was between geography and French. Mm-hmm. And I was really into both of them. And I think it was just once I learned that if, it, if you're studying French at university, then you're essentially studying English literature, but in French. And I was like, yeah, that's not, that's not for me. That's what, you know, that's what the course essentially yeah. was. I was more interested in speaking the language. I loved going to France. I organized a solo trip to France, probably when I was like 15 or 16 to, to Paris, just for the weekend, literally for the purpose of being there and having to speak. And I loved it. It was so much fun. Nice. I would listen to French rap music, bit of Colin Real, Section d'Assaut, all of that kind of stuff. I don't know what that is, but that sounded, sounded good. One rapper and one group. Yeah. But like the music was cool and it would help me with my pronunciation. It helped me with slang and like, you know, French people wouldn't say je ne sais pas, but I don't know, they say je sais pas. Like small things like that, okay. you then get to pick up. And even though that wouldn't be ideal if you're going in a French oral exam, mm. but it just helped you know, linked the dots together and helped with fluency. But ultimately it was once I realized that, you know, I don't want to be studying literature, French literature at university. But I was like, all right, geography, let's do it. No, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, awesome. So like moving moving ahead to like kind of like present day a bit. Mentioned at the beginning how you are the CEO and co-founder of an agency like about like personal brands and building them. So yeah, would you just kind of like just give us kind of what is it? What's what's the what's the business called? Sure. So the business is called Wow. I started it around three and a half years ago. The idea was to leverage all of the experience I had in building my YouTube channel to over 22,000 followers at the time, over 2 million views. And I thought, you know, if I can do that for myself and kind of build myself up as a brand on social media, maybe I can do it for others. And that has now morphed into, you know, a bit of a machine where we have, you know, I mentioned before, there are six of us in the company now, soon to be eight of us. And we have a service that we give to clients, which works. It's tried and tested. We have a pricing model. So we understand how much to charge them. We have a creative team. We have a solid, solid reputation, a brilliant client retention and an internal kind of uh, structure. So that it's not a case of constantly thinking, okay, well, we're getting more clients now. We're in demand. We need to hire. Who do we hire? It's more like, we know how that works now. We know what happens if we need to onboard 10 clients, you know, in the space of three weeks. We know how to manage that. So it started in a place which is, you know, completely unrecognizable from what it is now. But sorry, you asked what you do. We build personal brands for founders and CEOs. So when you see people like Richard Branson, for example... Um, or Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, absolutely killing on social media. You know, that's not all them. They've got a team of a lot of people. They've got copywriters. They've got people who are helping them think of content ideas. They've got people helping them to craft certain belief statements. Here are things that you should be, that you should publicly care about. Here is how to make your personal brand a little bit more punchy. Here's to make sure, here's how we make sure that you're really standing for something. You know, the graphic design, the video editing, the photography. You know, there's a team of people behind individuals like Richard Branson and Gary Vaynerchuk. So what we do is we help essentially create that for people. Some of our clients, like, you know, Tej Lalvani, James Kahn, the kind of people you see on Dragon's Den, they already have a huge profile. People know who they are. Yeah. So our work for them is, you know, it's completely different to some of the other clients who maybe, you know, three years into their company and want to be known as the best in the industry. 
And then we need to craft that brand alongside them from scratch. Yeah. But in a nutshell, that's what we do. Why is it so important? Like, I guess a lot of people probably assume that, you know, you're a co-founder of this company. You kind of want to build that company's brand. Your kind of brand is secondary. I guess it goes kind of hand in hand. Is that kind of what you're pitching? Yes. I mean, first of all, I wish I was a co-founder of WOW. Um, I wish I had a co-founder. I started it on my own just based on where I was at at the time. Mm. And it's stayed that way. So I'm a solo founder, which there's so much within that. And I wish I had somebody that I could have started with at the time. But in terms of why a personal brand is important, you know, it's the same question. Why is a reputation important? It's Mm. the exact same thing. You know, if you're doing, you know, web development stuff that if there are people who think highly of you and they know you can get shit done, they're going to call you when they need work. And if you want work, you're you're going to want more people to know about you in that capacity. If you're, if you're a copywriter and you want to get jobs or you're even, you're in a, in a full-time job, if you start building your brand on social media, that will be the last time you have to apply for a job. People will start to headhunt you. Building a personal brand and scaling your reputation and what people think about you online creates this huge gravitational pull towards you. And it means that you can start, well, I mean, you can stop having to reach out to people and ask for things and be the guy who they reach out to with questions. And that is the most powerful thing in, in business, but also in social life. If you think about yourself walking into a house party and, and kind of nobody you know, comes directly up to you. Nobody really says hi. Nobody makes much of a fuss. Like that feels a certain way. And because nobody else is doing it, you kind of just stand there on your own. You have to approach people. Mm. Might feel like you're being a bit of a tryhard. Yeah. If you walk in, the second you walk in, people stop their conversations like, yo, wow, Hamish, Aaron. <laughs> and then they kind of swarm you. Like all of a sudden, there is a pull. Everyone in the room is stopping their conversations and thinking, who the hell just walked into the door? Who is that guy? Wow, so-and-so is talking to them. You know, and so and so is a pretty cool, pretty cool guy. So that must mean that this new person is also pretty cool. I want to speak to them. I wonder what they're talking about. Why are they laughing so much? Why are they having such a good time? Mm. What you know? What is that bond that they have? I want in on that. You, you see that there's there, there's a real kind of almost a physical shift in how the room feels when something like that happens. It's the same in business. That sounds good, man. Sounds good. I was like, I don't know. Has anyone ever done that? <laughs> 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 I can think of Sid. Sid's voice comes into when he when he did that, like you know that voice right there. I can think of Sid doing that. But <laughs> I think when I came back, so I I uh, gonna say it again, Joe. I I lived in America for a year. I lived in San Francisco, worked out there for a year. And I think when I came back, like the first kind of house party I went to, it's kind of like, oh shit, Aaron, you're back. But that was kind of I don't. Know, I guess that was a kind of a bigger deal than just a normal kind of walking into. If I walked into one now, it's probably like, oh, okay, sorry. It's, it's a nice feeling, right? When you yeah, go yeah, back yeah, and you yeah, see yeah. people, like 100%. people swarm you. They're excited to see you. They make a deal. It feels yeah. nice. When's kind of the stage where like a CEO, a founder of a company should start building their brand? So I'll answer that question in two ways. If they're doing it themselves mm-hmm. and they're documenting their journey, then they should start soon as they can, five years before they start their company. If they're hiring an agency like us and paying, you know, thousands of pounds for somebody to help them alongside it, then, you know, it could be three years into their journey. They've got to have budget. They've got to, you know, be able to invest in it. So two different ways. If, if you're a founder or soon to be founder and you can start doing this on your own, which you absolutely can, then start ASAP. But if it's a case of, you know, spending, let's say, I don't know, two grand a month for somebody to help you with this, 
if you're in the early stages of your journey, there's probably a more pressing use for that two grand, perhaps on your product, perhaps on the company's marketing, you know, perhaps on sales, it varies, but it's unique to the individual and also to the industry. Yeah. No, that's cool. I was, so one of the questions I, I like mentioned to you before that I thought it'd be cool to like kind of see it was like for ourselves, like how we would like any tips you'd have for us that would kind of like to build a personal brand. Yeah. I was going to say like, what do, what do you think of ours in the first place? Like, cause, and then you could answer the how, I guess. So there's the third wheel brand, I guess. Mm-hmm. But then there's our individual like social media accounts, our Instagram, our Twitters, our LinkedIn. Is that kind of the personal brand you're talking about? Not the third wheel one. Exactly. But what you guys are doing a brilliant job of is being able to leverage the brands of the people that come onto your podcast. Hmm. So for example, we're on the podcast together. You create shareable content for me as a guest, because I know that my face is now going to be plastered on a really you know, gorgeous graphic that you create. So that's then going to go straight onto my LinkedIn. I'm going to post about it. I'm going to big the two of you up. And then the people in my network the Tejal Alvani's of the world, our clients, our advisors, people, you know, super senior at Google, former CEO of uh, Rubik's Cube, like all, all of these people, because I'm posting about it, are then going to see you guys. And that may be their first intro to you. And so then that's really good. The fact that you're getting guests on and creating pieces of content for them to then share. So like the network. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's a network effect. But I would say to really go ham on your personal brands, You've got to post more content on your own accounts. Mm-hmm. And to really answer the question properly, I'd need to know what the why is. Like, why are you doing this? And who, who do you want, you know, who do you want to see this? And if it's a case of, I want more guests on my podcast, or if it's a case of, I want more freelance graphic design work, then I'd say, okay, well, LinkedIn could probably be a really good platform for that. It would be better than Facebook. It would be better than Twitter, probably as well. For both options that you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, there are nuances. We need to really talk about it. But ultimately, you want to connect with a certain type of person and you need to figure out where they're spending their time. And it's not just about where they are physically kind of on the platform. It's what their mood is when they're on the platform. So on Instagram, it may be the case that somebody is literally just scrolling for some easy entertainment, for some laughs. They're not really in a buying mindset. So if I were to be going crazy on Instagram, trying to get new clients, you know, am I really going to be able to attract somebody who's, you know, running a 400 million pound a year business from my Instagram? Are they really going to be in that kind of buying mindset and see my stuff and think, oh, wow, yeah, maybe I could do my personal brand. Probably not. But if they see my content on LinkedIn, when they're sitting at their desk at work and they're responding to a comment from a colleague and they see my post on their newsfeed, all of a sudden, different story. They're in a different mind frame when they see that so for me it would make more sense to push it on linkedin yeah i don't know hamish what, what would you if you were like kind of wanting to grow your kind of individual profile what would it be for would it be to get more guests on the podcast or build something on, on your own this is the thing i was hoping i was, I was hoping that no one would ask me that because i couldn't care less about my you know instagram it's just literally there because we were going to start off the podcast like i had to make something and put like a post or two on there and that's it like i don't actually use my instagram as like you know any sort of branding or any reflection of me as per se the third wheel is the only reason i use instagram like i don't use a lot of social media you know otherwise so like i care about third wheel brand i couldn't care less about my brand because i'm not trying to represent myself in a certain way to anyone or anything if that makes sense so but i think that's the point right like your brand would tie 
would relate to the third world brand. The Instagram is more just like, I guess you're kind of up to date with friends a little bit there. But it's it's not for me to care about my brand because I don't advertise anything. I'm not looking for any sort of business or representation from my personal self there. And that's fine. That's where I think I differ from a lot of people. Like I don't require the Instagram post to post, you know, to represent myself in that way because I couldn't care less about it. Yeah. But but for Third Wheel, it's different because Third Wheel is like business to us. Yeah. I don't think it's necessary for everyone to kind of put effort into their personal brand. A lot of people, you know, that you may see online talking about personal brands will be like, personal brand or die. Like, (laughs) this is your opportunity. And if you don't start posting content, you will wake up tomorrow dead. (laughs) Whatever that quote from the movie was. But essentially, it's just not true. It's just not a necessity. However, if you do it, it could be a superpower. So you just got to think, you know, do you want that? Do you want people to know who you are before you get the chance to tell them, like tell them face to face? For some people, that's massively valuable. I've seen the impact of walking into a room and people knowing who I am before I tell them, particularly in business. Wow. It is an absolute game changer for me to walk into a room for, with a prospective client and for them to already have in their head, geez, I just saw a photo of this guy, two of the guys from Dragon's Den. And I know that he's worked with them for over two and a half, three years now. He's legit. If he can work with them, he can work with me. And then it's a, hi, hi, how are you? I'm Joe. Nice to meet you. Like they already see me in a certain way. My ability to sell to them has just become so much easier. And obviously this is you know, super specific to me, but ultimately just to, to come back to your point, Hamish, not everyone wants that. Not everyone needs that. And that's absolutely fine. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. In the future, I may have a different stance. Like I may be doing some different endeavor. Like say if I, when I return to like streaming games, like say I was, instead of doing it on third wheel, I was doing it on my own one. Maybe I'd obviously want to change it. But as I said, like right now, there's just no, I, cause I don't, obviously we have once again, different business endeavors. I don't care. Like I don't have a business endeavor such as you, where I need to walk into a room, sell my business. Though it would help with third wheel. Don't get me wrong. But once again, like I'm fine with it just being through the third wheel page. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm with you. I hear you. That's, that's fine. But I, I would say I'm definitely more, I would be someone, I guess, more so than Hamish concerned about like a personal brand. Like I've got like all the social medias. I tweet about football a lot. I will post on Instagram now and then not, not anywhere, probably near as much as most people. But like, I think I've always kind of, I've got like my own website and stuff like that. I would consider I've got a brand. I used to freelance. So I have like, branded stuff like Mm -hmm. invoices and websites and plans and graphics and stuff like that you can see like from all my profiles i've made sure it's kind of like look kind of nice like even like github or spotify albums like that stuff like that even the brief you sent yeah the plan that that was designed that was great i love that i've never seen something planned like that it's just nice but like i'm always kind of like I would I, like everything that you said there where it's like walking into a room, kind of being headhunting, people know who you are. Like I, I would love that kind of stuff and I would love to grow up more of a following. But then having to post more, I kind of feel like, am I going to like annoy people by posting more? Am I going to, I don't want to be that guy in school where I was like a tryhard all the time. And like, you see people posting all the time on Twitter or posting all the time on Instagram. It's like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that. But then there's probably no, you're in a like, what is it? Catch 22, is that a term? Where it's kind of like, you have to do that to do it to like grow. But that the comes up with like the mix of confidence versus as well like the being caring about the judgments from other people. Like in Joe's case, like he's confident enough where he doesn't care too much about like some people may not like what he posts, but he knows that there's someone there that will 
will want to see it, will need to see it or something along those hmm. lines. So it comes with that difference, right? So like, I'm not saying you're lacking in confidence, but you could be lacking in confidence and you're afraid of the judgment as well. Whereas in reality, like it doesn't matter. At least to me. At least no, it's not. It's more like I, so like we take, we take the podcast for instance. So we, the podcast we post on Instagram or like post our story maybe like four times for a specific episode throughout the week. And I'll only share it once on my story, on my like personal oh, yeah, story. Yeah. Whereas like Hamish will share it all the time. And I used to share it for each one as well. But I just thought, okay, if they follow the page, they're already seeing that story four times. Hamish shares it, they're going to see it four times. If I share it four times now, is that going to benefit us? Or is that going to, in fact, even like make it worse for us? And they'll be like, okay, I'm just seeing it again. Like that's annoying. Yeah. Unfollow. It also thinks on like how you think as a consumer, right? Because you, you're trying to think of the audience as you, yourself as a consumer and how you'd want it, which makes it you want to do it a certain way. So like sharing it once a week. Whereas for me, I mean, I don't view stories anyways. I just share it just because, you know, in case there's one extra person that's following that doesn't follow third wheel what can see it. They're like, oh shit, let me just go look at what's happening on third wheel. In that case, it happens. I couldn't care less if they see the story or not on my personal profile. It's just that it's there. I need to just do whatever I can in, in some magical case where it works out for the better I'll just do what I can and then that's that because I don't have the Instagram for any other purpose anyways yeah I think we're touching on two different things here one is the confidence and you know the caring of what other people think and two is the successful distribution of a podcast and the marketing for a podcast on point one you know, Aaron, I could ask you loads of questions like, you know, why do you care? What is it? Who will be the person to send you a WhatsApp group and say, hey, bro, you're posting a lot. Who's going to, you know, be the one to, to think, actually, yeah, that wasn't a good content that you just shared. And, you know, there's a yeah, whole That's, whole that's actually, of, that's more like myself. Like if I see someone posting a lot, I'm like, mm, I don't know if I would unfollow that person myself because I'm like, okay, that's, so I don't want to be that person as well. Yeah, and I hear you, but I mean, the worst that happens is, you unfollow the person who's annoying you. And in your case, if you're to start to be more active online, they unfollow you. That's basically it. But then you have a huge amount of people who could resonate with what you're saying and who could like the increase in activity. So that's, that's the first part. The second part is on the distribution and specifically about Third Wheel FM. Like if you are to share multiple stories about the same episode, then, I mean, what value is that? giving because if people have already seen it you're right you know they don't need to see it again they understand there's a new episode but what i would say on that is that would happen when you're sharing the same content sharing the same bit of graphic design sharing the same 30 second video snippet it's like cool there's only so many times you can share that because people have seen it but if you were to think okay how else can i talk about the podcast without sharing that piece of content you could say okay well how did I feel after speaking to, to Joe Binder on that podcast? Well, actually, it made me think maybe I should start my personal brand, but I don't want to do it because I don't want people to think I'm a dick. So that could be a thought that you're having now, which you could then turn that into content. That could be a post on LinkedIn. That could be an Instagram story video where you're just reflecting. Now, all of a sudden, you've created a new space to subtly talk about Third Wheel FM, subtly promote it, but actually give the listener and the consumer of the podcast something new to actually grapple with. Do you know what I mean? You can create more out there. So I would say, yeah, I mean, you're right. Posting the same content over and over again to promote the same episode, that won't be successful and it won't actually drive many more lessons. But if you can think about other types of content that you can create around the podcast, around the specific episodes, then you can bring in more listeners. The LinkedIn one's quite interesting because I remember at the beginning of when we're doing the podcast, Hamish, I was, wondering if this comes up. <laughs> Hamish was someone who was 
for posting on LinkedIn about our, third wheel. Uh, yeah, yeah, like from the like company page account. We got a new episode, and then basically, basically, what we post on Instagram, but post on LinkedIn too. And I was against it because that I didn't really think it was a professional. I thought LinkedIn like kind of had to be professional. I didn't think the podcast was or the episodes that we were kind of talking about were necessarily professional or not all of them anyway. Because like we might have an episode talking about you know Love Island and what happens if your partner cheats on you and like that kind of stuff. An episode like mm-hmm. this, which is much more like professional, I can see the benefit of that. But I didn't think it would be good of us to do that. Have a Patreon post every episode. So I don't. Know, I don't know what's your like kind of take on it and what if you think that would be beneficial to us if we did. Okay, so if the goal here is to get more podcast guests and maybe more, let's say... I'll say listeners, like just listen, like downloads, listeners. That's the main kind of goal. Yeah, right? the conversation was to reach and the debate was at the time, is that the correct audience we want? And I was like, any audiences, because you never know who could get attached to either the, you know, the two people on screen plus the guest or you know the content. Whatever the content may be. I think I was more concerned about like image rather than yeah, like I couldn't care. listeners. I think at the time I was like, if you want to share it from your personal account, then do so, but don't share it from the third wheel account. I was like, how does that work? Because I'm not going to share it. I'll share it to my personal thing from third wheel because it makes sense. You know, the followers are that way, but it doesn't make sense for me to just share it on my thing when it's a third wheel thing. But yeah, this is a long running debate. <laughs> so if we're just kind of having a super quick chat about this and and the idea is bringing in new listeners, then I would say focus on your individual personal profiles and post there rather than putting effort into crafting and posting it on the company page. This is on LinkedIn specifically I'm talking about. And the reason for that is because when you scroll through LinkedIn's newsfeed, half of the content you see on there is from people that you don't know. You're not connected with them, but you're seeing it because one of your connections has commented on it. So that's how LinkedIn works. When you post something and people like it, their connections who don't know you can see that post. So if and when, for example, let's take you at Aaron, if you were to upload a a photo, a screenshot of this conversation and say, brilliant speaking to Joe Binder today, we discussed X, Y, Z, episodes coming out at this point, you know, Hamish did a great job on it, whatever it is. If I'm to then like that post on LinkedIn, all of a sudden you've got, I mean, literally instantly, you've got 30 people who've, who may have never heard of you before, who you may have never have heard of, who are seeing that post. Now, if five of those people like the post, there's going to be another 30 people, well, 30 times five, and it's going to start to trickle down like that. So you're going to start to bring in new people who don't currently know about Third Wheel FM into the kind of radar of the podcast. And that then can convert to new listeners. And the best thing about that is because is that the more you do that on LinkedIn, the more of a kind of brand for yourself you build up, the more, quote, higher profile people you get onto the podcast, they then share it, their audience sees it, and people start to listen and become you know, regular listeners from there. So yeah, that's what I would say on this. Yeah, awesome. No, yeah, I think, I think it's definitely something that we might, uh, we got uh, ideas called tomorrow, maybe you can bring up. It feels like LinkedIn is also becoming like a, so in our era, we had Facebook. Now it feels like LinkedIn is become, replacing that void and it's becoming a mix of what i thought linkedin used to be it was just like job postings and so on and just like maybe some advice and here and there but it feels like the facebook is converting into a facebook where it has that i don't know if it's always the best kind of informality but it has like this weird mix and mm-hmm. i don't bear in mind i don't use that any anymore anyways but it's just like it could still potentially be an option but then when when is the right time to post given we haven't posted about how many episodes by now 90 something episodes by now on LinkedIn. When is, like, we would have to go backtrack, yeah. 
No, no, there's your post. Like that's content. There's a reason you haven't posted on LinkedIn. You've got all of these episodes. That is a post in and of itself. And now you're thinking about starting to post. You can even ask a question, be like, is anyone out here? Has anyone here listened to the podcast before? Does anyone here have a recommendation for a future podcast guest? And so on. Yeah. So the post would literally be like, oh, we've, we've argued over whether we should be posting on here or not kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. I'll be like, we have a hundred episodes now. We're going to, there's going to be 10 posts over like the 10 coming weeks here. Are the 10, we'll give you a quick bullet point about each episode. Some bull, this is not reality, by the way. This is just like some, no, I, I'm some all for this. I love it already. I love it. And it's like, here's like a couple of the, like basically the titles of each episode, each episode's timestamp, go give it a listen. And then by the time we get to how many episodes, uh, week 10 of posting on LinkedIn, we would have probably had 110 episodes. So that would be one last week of 10 episode thing. And then we wait a bit and see if that helped mm-hmm. with views or whatever. If- but then you're saying it's more beneficial to post individually rather than f- from a page, Joe. So individually from your personal profiles. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you don't need to go back in time and post all of the episodes. Perhaps if there are people that, you know, have a big audience like Ambrose, for example, you know, mm. that could be a great one to start with because you know that he's going to engage. And then, you know, you have this huge network of Fanbytes employees, but then also Fanbytes connections and people that know Ambrose. He's a really well-known guy. Boom. There's your first kind of wave of new potential listeners. What I would say is try to have a good asset. So, I mean, you've got the, the brilliant assets for the individual episodes, but if you are to post specifically about having never posted before, try to use a photo mm-hmm. of the two of you. Oh, Make okay. it about you because this podcast, to be honest, it is about you. I know it's about I'm the guests, but it's about you. Picture. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to dig, dig one out. We'd have to get one, bro. Yeah, might have to create one. But yeah, just briefly, like before you wrap up, just briefly back to like, wow, how just the general experience, you know, starting a business at 21, growing it, just how's that been? And like, what have you kind of learned from it? Been an absolute shit show (laughs) in a a wonderful way. Yeah. It has been really, really difficult. What I find is that when business owners, when entrepreneurs talk about growing the company, they quickly forget about the very, very early stages. And obviously it's different for everybody, but I was a 21 year old with no experience of running a business with very, very little career experience. I'd done a few internships essentially, and I was starting from scratch. I would say for at least, you know, five, six months, I was desperate to work my ass off, but I had no idea what to be working on. And I had to find that myself. And I got some really good advice along the way. I proactively reached out to people, asked if they could share any tips, but ultimately I was on my own. And right now I know that if I want to get an extra X grand of revenue in for next month, I know exactly what that looks like. I know how that's done. I know how many people I need to speak to, how many of those people then need to convert to clients and so on. But back then, I didn't know if I was focusing on the website. Should I be creating blogs? Am I going to get people when, Mm. am I going to get win potential clients when they search into Google, am I going to, you know, I still have my YouTube channel up at the time. Am I going to convert some of the people following me onto clients? You know, how do I price things? How do I actually formally propose a campaign to somebody? What's the process there? All of these things I had to learn from scratch. And that's why when I speak to young aspiring entrepreneurs and I say, if there's an opportunity for you to work with somebody, then 100% take it. You've got to take it because you will be able to kind of uh, fast track that six month, no clue what I'm doing with my life period into three months, into two months, into one month. Yeah. No, and touching on the, 
won't go into it too deep, the YouTube stuff. How come you've like took all your videos down or put them in private? Like having a follower base of like 20,000, 20, what was it? 20,000 yeah, or so? Like the peak was 22. I don't know what it's at now. Yeah. So how come you made that, made that decision? It was really sad. I'm still sad about it. I was sitting with a client once and I was telling him about my YouTube channel and he goes, oh, wow, show me it. So I showed him it. I scrolled through all the thumbnails um, and he's like, oh, let's watch that one. And I knew exactly what that video was. It was not the kind of, you know, person that I wanted this client, very professional, yeah, almost corporate guy to see of me. It was me clowning around at uni, being an idiot, thinking that my audience were, would like, you know, this clueless uni student who was just, you know, taking the piss out of himself. And for a time that worked, but obviously now when I'm running a business, that's not, that's not the image that I want to portray. And that's also not the truth. Like I know what I'm doing. I'm confident. So when I had to literally just show that client that video, it was, I just realized then I was like, right, this stuff has got to go, hmm. which is sad because I continued to get messages every week without fail yeah. from people saying, please, can you re-upload the episode, the eighth episode of Planet Cambridge, please? <laughs> please, can you re-upload the day in the life video? Please, can you Because I was giving people an insight into a world. It wasn't about me. It wasn't because they were finding me entertaining. It was because I was showing them what it's like to actually study there. And I was showing them in a much more, much more of a casual way than some of the other vloggers were doing. And also with different people, some people could read my story about, you know, starting off in bottom sets and they could say, oh, wow, you know, I, I get that. That feels like me. That's where I'm at. And they'd want to see what it looked like for me being there versus somebody who's also vlogging at Cambridge, who was a straight A star student from the off. They may not be able to connect with that person. So it's sad. It's sad. And I would like to, at some point, go through each video and maybe start kind of making some of them public again. But the reason I just kind of blanket privated them all was just, just to make my life in a short term easier, just so I can quickly not have to worry about, yeah. you know, me looking like an idiot online in front of clients. Oh, no, one option is what you could do is you could do like a reaction video to it and explain like how this was this at the time, blah, blah, blah. And then do it maybe like bundle a couple of those private ones up or a couple of those episodes into one and do a short thing and say xyz on it because then that way it's not just saying this was you're saying that this is how it was at the time and you're explaining this point that point maybe you could then re-bundle it and re-put that as a bit fresher content obviously the video you're reacting to is low quality but you'll be there from a current standpoint of what you thought at the time i like maybe, that yeah that's a really good, really good idea i like it a lot so what, what's kind of like the, what's in the pipeline, like short-term future, long-term future for WoW, for even a YouTube channel, do you think you'd go back to and upload different content? But yeah, what's, what's kind of, yeah, future, future plans for everything? YouTube channel, I would love to get back to when the time is right. In terms of WoW, honestly, guys, it's, it's insane. It's insane the amount of stuff that happens in a day. Mm -hmm. And it's also the complexity of it because... On the one hand, it's like, yeah, it's easy. You're helping people create content for themselves. That's not a hard thing to do. But then when you see who some of our clients are and some of the clients that I actually haven't mentioned because we're under NDA, these people post something on their Instagram and it's, it literally is in a print newspaper the next day. It goes straight onto online. It gets picked up by journalists. It gets put into magazines. Like we need to be so careful with, with, with with all of the people that we work with, but some of the people we know that there are literal, you know, 
within 24 hour repercussions if we screw up. And sometimes these super high profile clients, sometimes there are things that happen in their lives. And as their social team and their social advisors, we then need to think, shit, how do we respond to that? Or this is brilliant. How do we respond to it? So there is so much that happens on a daily basis, which is massively you know, thrilling and exciting. But then there's also what does the future look like? And there is a clear trend, not just in employees, not just in startups, but in bigger businesses and in corporates. People buy from people. They want to know who's behind a brand and who's behind a company. So this trend of personal branding is only going to continue to blow up. And comparing where it is now to where it was a year or two ago, it's on another level. It's grown so much and it's going to continue that way. And we've got a super ambitious team and we're just going to go for it. All guns blazing. Yeah. Wicked, man. Good luck with everything. And I think where can people like find you, your, your brand and also, wow, if people were like listening and kind of think that want to get involved or if there are founders listening that kind of think they could, could be something for them. Yeah. So I have a rule. I have a rule. Okay. Follow me with pleasure. However, you need to drop me a message if you're going to do that. If it's on LinkedIn and you're following me from, you know, hearing about this episode, drop me a message and say you just had the episode you wanted to connect for, for whatever reason. Same goes on Instagram. Something that I've really noticed in my YouTube days was that all these people would follow you, which is brilliant, but you had no clue who they were. And it could be quite one-sided if they don't kind of actively comment on your stuff, which most people don't. So the way around that for me was saying, okay, cool, follow me, but you're only allowed to follow me if you actually message me to introduce yourself. It doesn't have to be a long message. Just tell me where you're from. Tell me you know, what your interests are. Just something along those lines. So yeah, I mean, same goes for this. If there's somebody who's listening, first of all, if you've listened to the end of this, thank you. You're a wonderful human. And if you want to chat, then drop me a message. Instagram, joebinder96. LinkedIn, just type in joebinder and you'll find me. I have a big blue photo. Do you actually interact with everyone that will message you, say that they follow you? Because that is long. <laughs> It is long. It is. It, it takes a long time. But if it's something like this, and people are messaging me saying, "Yo, I heard you from you know, I heard you from your chat with uh, Aaron and Hamish," like I'm all over that. 100% replying. Some of the messages I get, I don't reply to. Some of them are kind of just flirty messages, which like, I don't don't have time for that kind of thing. Like some of them are spam. Some of them, are, some people, sometimes people just message me saying hi. Hmm, okay. I, I don't respond to that <laughs> exactly yeah I, I don't know what, what it's for it doesn't mean anything do you know what i mean yeah, yeah jumping on the back of what joe said um if you want to be a guest on the podcast do message us on the real fm <laughs> come on yeah come on. awesome so i don't know if you know like the kind of format of a show i listen to many others but we end it off with some like final questions a call out and a shout out so we've got some final questions for you and the first one is what is one piece of advice you would give to a younger Joe? So let's say the, let's say the younger Joe that was in 3B. In 3B? Yeah. Oh, nice question. I like it. Right. Here's what I would say. I would say, hello, uh, Mr. Joe Binder. How are you doing? Lovely to see you. You feel pretty shit right now. And that is a good thing. And it doesn't feel good now. And you're not going to get, you're not going to understand why that's a good thing for quite some time. But what I would say is, you know, bathe in that shit feeling, feel bad because at one point very soon you will get fed up with not being confident. You will get fed up with not reaching your potential. You will get fed up with people taking the piss about how clever you are and something will click in your mind. And from that point onwards, the, the trajectory of your life will change. And so you feel bad now, 
continue to feel that, feel as bad as you possibly can because each kind of inch further of feeling shit will just fuel you further when you're on the up and you're close to the up. You're going to get there soon. So hang in there and enjoy feeling shit. That's what I would say. Nice. The second thing <laughs> is, if you had a podcast, who would be your dream podcast guest? Ooh, ooh, wow, wow. You can say, you can say more than one if you want. I would like to speak to Tom Holland. I would like to speak to Elon Musk. I would like to speak to Whitney Wolf Heard. I would like to speak to Barack Obama. Oh my God. Yeah. There's so many people. Interesting. Tom, Holl- Tom Holland is a Spider-Man, right? Yeah. yeah. The, the, the newest one. Imagine that. Imagine being in a few movies. Yeah. Fairly well-known movies. And then all of a sudden, bam, you're the most famous actor on the planet. That, that's smart, by the way, because you're like, he's known for dropping spoilers. So you could end up getting yeah, a yeah, spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <The clickbait. laughs> I, might, I might have to uh, give a message, you know. Third, third question. So this is actually a question we ask every guest, the same one. The first two were kind of personalized. The third one is one we ask every guest. Kind of named after the show, and is what has been your most memorable third wheeling experience? Third wheeling, I'm afraid it's just going to be a basic one of you know me being with a best friend and his girlfriend, and me just being the third wheel. I can't think of any proper juicy story there. The next section is a call out slash nomination. Here, you could basically choose one of many people to hopefully be a guest on in the future. Who would you like to nominate? So the first person that comes to mind would be difficult to get on. Her name is Maya Mufarik. She is one of the most brilliant marketers out there. She's the hired gun behind VC companies and startups that are growing really quickly that need to figure out how they market to certain audiences. It's like she's been in every kind of marketing room in the history of ever and just knows the answers. I know that she's exceptionally busy, but that would be one who I would say there would be a brilliant conversation that would come from that. Yeah, wicked. It's also, I don't know if you remember, but you emailed us way back when uh, suggesting Rich, Richie Cartwright. Yes, Richie Cartwright as well. Yeah, I put, I put him down in our, in, our, like, in our list ages ago, but never got around to messaging. So maybe that's something we can, we can pick up. In both cases, for Maya and Richie, if you want them on, just give me the thumbs up and, I'll, and I will do my best to make it happen. I'll drop them a message after the show. Awesome, wicked. And last bit's a shout out. So basically anything you just want to like, plug promote can be literally anything we'll put like links to it in a description yeah so is there anything joe yeah i'd like to promote the third wheel fm podcast please uh, that's perfect for us cheers, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean apart from that i mean i think you guys are doing a brilliant job as i said i love the the graphic design and, and the content that you create from this i think it's it's so good i like the conversations that you have with people on here it's really different to other podcasts that i've listened to in the past it's 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 a conversation. It's not an interview or an interrogation. And I think that's something quite special. So yeah, I mean, no, nothing else to plug, but just the fact that I've really enjoyed this. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. No, that's awesome. We uh, really, really appreciate it. Hamish, yeah, anything? Logic. People may know him for his more recent stuff, but like his old stuff is finally trying to get it all onto Spotify. So the first one, well, he's, as he gets clearance to get them on Spotify, the first one is releases Young Sinatra volume one. And I, I listened to it since like GCSEs and I loved it. Yeah. So in there, there's some bangers. So go listen to Young Sinatra Volume 1. It's on Spotify now. Remember, not every song. I'm hoping you can get the rest on as well, the, le- the next few volumes on as well. But if not, then yeah, do enjoy some of these old school bangers that made him what he is before, I guess, the big blow up that happened. And the other one is going to be Heady One Pound Signs. Have to obviously give a shout out to some Joe. Can't, can't forget the UK scene. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm going to shout out 
I think it's I think it's something I shared out last episode or the episode before. Just like a little website I made called Footy Text, which is kind of like football news and Premier League table, Euro 2020 scores in like a teletext, like the old kind of teletext, CFAX kind of visuals. So a bit of a bit of a throwback. But yeah, go go check that if you're interested. Still still a bit of a work in progress, but I'll put a link to it in the description. And yeah, thanks Joe for coming on. Thanks so much. Nice meeting you as well. Pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. No, no, it's been great. And yeah, hope everyone else listening enjoyed the episode. And yeah, I guess we'll just speak to you all next week. All right. See you guys. Have a good day. Bye. See ya.